Okay, so next question has to do with the sanctuary city issue. Um, the current city council has come out against making Tucson a sanctuary city. However, a voter-initiated referendum will be on the ballot calling for Tucson to become just that. Um, first off, why or why do you, or why not do you support the initiative? And secondly, with blowback, blowback from the state, the Trump administration, and from the local GOP guaranteed – um, and that it will likely cost taxpayers. What about the sanctuary st- uh, city status makes it worth that expense if it is approved by voters? Well, I, I, I think it's no secret to all of us here, all of us are opposed to it. And we'll probably say basically for similar reasons, um, in part for that very last part of your sentence that you said, mm-hmm. was that this is ultimately when you look at what the, the uh, initiative actually does, it doesn't do anything that's that different from the general policies that are already in place for the Tucson Police Department, as uh, Chief Magnus explained in a good op-ed in the most recent star. Um, uh, it was uh, the, the fact that it doesn't do anything, even if it passes, to really change what we have, but it does wave a big red flag to all sorts of people who are ready to take us down um, and potentially make those people who you're, we're trying. It says that the, the folks who are, who are promoting this are trying to help. It makes them a target, and potentially puts them in harm because of the lack of programs that would be able to be funded by the funds that are taken away, or potentially just showing up and saying, "Look, here's Tucson. Wave a red flag in front of this polarized, dangerous political environment we have right now, which is not something that we need." Um, I, I have been working with refugees for a very long time. Uh, I have been working with the asylum seekers. I've been volunteering at the monastery. Um, and I was the only one of these three candidates who actually voted no on SB 1070 when I was in the legislature. And I voted no on pretty much everything else that uh, that Russell Pierce put in, forward. In fairness, they weren't in the legislature. In fairness, that's true. In fairness, please. But just, uh, yeah. But at the same time. I claim a lot of credit for being the only one. No, I know. He we tried. do what we can. He tried. But, I would have done it if I was there. But the fact I is that I actually was doing the battle on the floor to try to take that down. I was doing battle with a lot of other things less known, less well known than 1070 that Russell Pierce was trying to do in and around that time. And I helped for his ultimate uh, recall and end. Uh, so I, I I understand why folks want to be able to put this in shrine it in the charter, but ultimately I think we we have to really think about those refugees and those asylum seekers who themselves are running from political violence in their home countries. They want to be left alone to start their American dream, and I don't think it's a good idea to make them a target by having a huge political battle right now. Thank you, Randy. Uh, yes, all three of us have come out uh, against the initiative for largely the same reasons. Um, I am grateful that we are an immigrant welcoming community. Immigrants, refugees make up the fabric of our community. It's what makes us unique. Um, but regarding the initiative, it is problematic that um, we would not get the state shared revenue. And it does make us a target. Um, And for me, I really do believe that the general policies that Tucson Police Department created in 2012 and updated in 2017 in response to SB 1070 really go most of the way. And I think that we can work with the initiative writers as well as TPD 
to get even closer um, and make sure that all the protections are in place so that our community is safe and that asylum seekers are safe and our immigrant community is safe as well. It really is possible and it doesn't have to be um, as part of the initiative. Um, I've done a lot of uh, work with uh, the, in the Benedictine Monastery and seeing the great work that's being done there. This is a compassionate community and um, it's one of the things that makes me proud and want to run as mayor regarding defending it against any attacks. As mayor, you're mayor for all people. And if the initiative passes and that is the will of the people, then you have to defend the will of the people. And that's what I will do. Thank you. Um, I've led on this issue for many, many years, way before I got elected as a council member. And um, I led on the position of, of the city of Tucson against SB 1070. We became the first city in Arizona because of my leadership to take a position against SB 1070. We joined a lawsuit with other cities and states in the United States and took Arizona, uh, the state legislature and its governor, uh, to court. Um, I've also led on creating the Immigrant Welcoming uh, City Resolution. And wherein we, um, um, we asked to some police department to change its general orders. I sat around a table just like this um, and led with ACLU, with Derechos Humanos, with the Southside Presbyterian Church, many other stakeholders, um, our um, police chief, our city attorney, to change the general orders. It just didn't happen because TPD thought about it. <laughs> we had to work really hard to change those general orders to protect um, to protect our immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers here. And so um, doing all that work, making sure that, that we protected our immigrants in this city, um, I, I feel very conflicted, to be honest, to not uh, support this initiative. But the way it's written, it will hurt us financially. And because of all of the uh, issues that Chief Magnus pointed out in the opinion piece for the star, um, it could put the people that we are trying to protect in danger. And it could put the, the policies that we currently have, 60% of the policies that this initiative is asking for, we already do. And so it is putting those policies at risk uh, if it passes, saying that I will defend fiercely the will of the voters of the city of Tucson and make sure that we fight against the state, which is basically the, the uh, government that is putting and the Trump administration that is putting us in this place. We're not the, the city of Tucson is not the enemy, uh, but I will fight as the next mayor and will uh, push back against the state if they come in and uh, try and take our, our revenues. So recently, the city council gave approval, or excuse me, gave the preliminary okay to tax incentives to help with the redevelopment of Hotel Arizona property downtown. What, if anything, would you do to change how the city handles tax incentives and other incentives for development? And also, give an example of an incentive that worked or one that didn't, and what you would have done differently. It's another multi-part. Randy. Randy. Yes. <laughs> So um, the 
tax incentives have been extraordinarily important. Uh, developing downtown was an enormous risk. I don't know if you recall, when we first did um, the Ice House Lofts in 2002, there was nothing happening downtown. And for many years after, especially because of the recession, really nothing was happening downtown. We were going to invest so much money into the streetcar. And um, if you look at what it takes to develop, which is uh, land cost, construction cost, and then how you're going to uh, get rent out of it, those things have to really add up. And for many years, they did not. Virtually every project downtown has been only possible because of uh, the GPLET, the Government Property Lease Excise Tax, which is an eight-year property tax abatement, excuse me, as well as um, funding from Rio Nuevo. And I'm not exaggerating when I say virtually no project would happen without at least one of those. So that has to be the backdrop to this answer. Um, we have allocated $31 million in uh, tax breaks with the GPLET, but with every GPLET that is issued, there is a very thorough analysis of what it gives back. So through the analysis, and it is not approved unless there is a direct benefit greater than the tax incentive that the developer gets. That is unofficial policy of the mayor and council, but every single project has exceeded that. With the $31 million of investment, we have had $87 million of money going right into the city and over $1 billion of economic development just because of the GPLET alone. Um, I led on creating um, the incentives that we now have on the city council. And, and um, at the time when we created these incentives, we were in the worst economic recession since the Great Depression. We really had to hustle uh, to see investment happening in our city. And so when we created the GPLED in the Infant Incentive District and, and the Primary Jobs Incentive Program, uh, we were at a different place. Right now, we've seen a billion dollars worth of investment in our downtown, and we do have to reevaluate um, how we use our incentives as a city. I think it's fair. And, and, you know, these incentives are a choice for the developer. A developer chooses to come to the city and say, I want to participate in this program. And so it is time, at least in the downtown, to take a look at how else the developer will give back to the taxpayers of Tucson. A perfect example that we just worked on uh, was the project on 4th Avenue and 6th. Uh, the 4th Avenue Coalition sat down, created a community benefits agreement, and the 4th Avenue Coalition neighborhoods around the area said, we want uh, transit passes for all your residents. We want to see um, local businesses in your retail uh, in portion of your development. There are ways to sit down and um, with a developer and say, this is, as a city, this is one, what we want to see, including afford affordable housing, uh, transit passes for residents. And so we must... 
um, review and al analyze uh, what um, what the success of downtown looks like and uh, see what, where we need to take those incentives. I believe, and I've requested a small business incentive program and economic development corridors where we can use these incentives in other areas of the city and replicate the success that we've seen downtown. Okay. Incentives have their place as long as we're going to make sure that they return a much higher investment return than, they, than what taxpayers are sending out. But the fact is downtown would not have come back no matter how much the investment without our, no matter how much incentive without the investment in infrastructure. Uh, the streetcar wasn't the only thing that was part of the streetcar project. The streetcar was huge in terms of catalyzing it. But as, as well, along with the streetcar construction, we also revitalized and re redid all the sewer, the water, the electric, and the gas. And without that, we couldn't have done these developments downtown. Infrastructure is key. And we've got a major infrastructure problem in this community and not just downtown. We've got, uh, we're, we're having a hard time keeping the potholes paved all over the place, even with the funding we have right now. We've got to get that under control. And I know from talking to economic developers who are coming to town considering moving their businesses here, when they see the shape of our, our, some of our major arterials, they turn around and leave. Uh, we need to get that under control. This is really basic infrastructure stuff. And Rio Nuevo was a disaster for years until we actually invested in infrastructure. That's something the government can do that unleashes the power of the private sector to come in. We shouldn't just be like, sending out taxpayer dollars because we want to get a project. We should be investing in taxpayer dollars in infrastructure, the sort of things that developers can't do, uh, in order to allow people to be able to let their, their project pencil out. Uh, because and, and I knew that every step of the way. That's why I push for the streetcar every step of the way, because not only is it a good transportation mode, it's also a good economic development mode and has been everywhere else where you see it happening around the country. It enables lenders to have the security of knowing that there's going to be permanent tracks, permanent wires, so there will be permanent customers at the door of that project and residents at the door of that project, and that opens up their lending wallets to be able to make a project go. Infrastructure is the key, even more so than incentives. Okay. So uh, following up on that, um the there have been we've talked a lot about downtown what do you propose i mean that is a small part of our very large city so what do you do specifically to increase the economic vibrancy of of the rest of the city um and i think you know you are well, I just like I did with the economic recovery plan, um, I also have a plan to have an uh, economic development, a 360-degree economic development strategy. I am already working and leading on the issues of the Small Business Incentive Program, which will give incentives to small locally-owned businesses and connect them to training, to planning um, their um, their opening and access to microloans or um, loans. We've also asked for the creation of an economic incentive corridors. And these corridors are specifically for areas, just like we're rep we should replicate what we've done in our downtown. And I have the experience, I've, I've gone through it, and I'm prepared to move these economic incentive corridors into areas like Oracle Road 
like Brenton Alvernon, like um, uh, 22nd and, and Swan area, where there are areas where we have a lot of land and there are empty storefronts, there are empty big boxes, and create and invest, uh, create urban villages, right? And connect um, our, our investments with uh, community and neighborhood planning. Make sure that the stakeholders are at the table, uh, connected to bus rapid transit and transit lines, and, um, and make sure that we're, we're looking at um, mixed uses in these types of development. Our land use codes have prevented the city of Tucson from doing being imaginative and creative with how we develop in the city of Tucson. And so uh, we've already started with the economic incentive corridors, and that's the way to expand. Every area of the city that needs investment, uh, we work with the community and stakeholders to, um, to create those urban villages okay. and revitalize these um, these uh, corridors that have needed reinvestment for a long time. Okay, Steve. Well, I mentioned earlier things along the lines of the big box stores, the strip malls, creating new urban villages connected with high-capacity transit, the revitalization of neighborhoods where you've got large swaths of housing that is aging out and we need to be fixed. Uh, but one of the things we need to do is expand that streetcar success that's been downtown to large areas of the rest of the city. And we can do that privately and locally without having to uh, obligate taxpayers to pay for it because of the economic development effect of the streetcar. Uh, when you see property, commercial property values going, on, going up at the value they do in the vicinity of the streetcar, you can create coalitions of people who are property owners and builders in certain corridors and then have them pay privately for the extension. The benefit of that is that when you're paying for it privately and locally, you can do it for about a third of the cost and get it done in about half the time. So you have a better investment as well. Uh, and the city can or do a public-private partnership to be able to make sure that we have the money to be able to operate and maintain the line. Uh, perfect corridors for that would be like Tucson Mall, uh, east along River, down Campbell, Keno Corridor. So you're connecting all the University of Arizona health campuses with the main campus, with the airport, with, uh, with the sports complex, with the bridges area, and, the, and there's a lot of redevelopment prospects down in that area as well, uh, as well as uh, potentially another line that would connect in at the Costco near I-10 and go up through South Tucson along South 4th and then take a ride at Broadway, hooking in with the existing streetcar line, and go out Broadway as far as we can build it, because that's that's something rail on Broadway, something that's been studied and, uh, and looked at since the, not, not, uh, the 80s, actually. Uh, so there's a real possibility for us to push in that direction. And, and in addition to electrifying our transportation system, when you electrify uh, the SunTrans system as well as the electric rail system, uh, you're, you're lowering your carbon footprint, you're creating economic development effect that goes far beyond downtown and helping everyone have access to a great transit system at the same time. So this is one of the main reasons I'm running for mayor, because I've spent the last 20 years leading the way in the revitalization of downtown. And I want to take the same vision and energy and find the opportunities throughout Tucson. The key is really to start with speaking with the neighborhoods and understanding what they want. You can't just wave a magic wand and create a village because there's a property owner in a big box store. There's underlying zoning. There's what the neighborhood wants. 
There's developers who may be able to help, and you have to really understand how all of those pieces work together in order to create those projects. Um, I, my partners and I took an old ice, 1923 ice factory and turned it into the first residential lofts in all of Arizona. We took an auto repair shop and turned it into a net zero office. And I was involved with turning the firehouse downtown into the Museum of Contemporary Art. I understand firsthand what it takes to not just reimagine spaces, but what it takes to make them happen. Um, it's critically important. We also can use the Federal Opportunity Zone funding to help with creating new developments, affordable and otherwise. There are 21 Opportunity Zones throughout the city of Tucson. We have not capitalized on them nearly enough. And we do need to expand the streetcar and pair that with bus rapid transit. We need to create those plans right away because when we have a new president in 2020, there will hopefully be federal infrastructure funds available again. We need to be shovel ready and first in line for those funds. We don't have the density in many of the areas where we would like to have the streetcar to get private development to contribute enough. And um, we need to look at other funding streams as well. So if you could, uh, each of you, share an example of a time in your life or in your personal professional life where you were wrong, you made a mistake, where you failed, and then how you handled it. And then the flip side. Both that's all in two one two-minute question. Oh, three minutes. Uh, I'll okay. Give you okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start crying with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Steve, I think you're right. Okay. Well, you might remember a, uh, um, a Tucson an Arizona Daily Star editorial in January 2007 where the headline was, Farley wastes his skills on futile texting bill. <laughs> <laughs> Well, 13 years later, we're the 48th in the country to finally have done it. But we were, could have been the first in the country at the time. That was worth fighting for. The amount of victim families I've met over the years, uh, I never gave up. And uh, even this year, not in the legislature, I was working behind the scenes to help that get passed. We got it done. Absolutely necessary. But probably the bigger issue, the, the answering this question, is in 2003, I got 18,000 signatures with the group I co-founded called Tucson's for Sensible Transportation to get on the ballot what we called what was known as the light rail initiative. We didn't call it that. It was actually about 22 percent light rail for South Six and Broadway. It had uh, a better bus service. It had bikeways, sidewalks, and it had a sustainable funding source forever for neighborhood street maintenance. Can't imagine we would need that, would we? Uh, we were we were actually uh, winning 60-40, according to uh, opposition polling that I read later, a month before the election in 2003. Uh, but then the home builders and the car dealers spent a bunch of money to kill it. Um, I didn't give up when we lost 60-40. I went over to the home builder's office the next day, and I talked with Ed Tasnowski, who was the CEO at the time. I said, Ed, we're going to keep beating each other up. We've been trying to get transportation plans in place for more than 40 years and failed five times. Unless we figure out what we have in common and work together, we'll never get anything. And that's that's something neither of us want for this community. We need to have a transportation plan. So he agreed. And then we started this process of people talking together who used to fight. 
we had environmentalists talking with business leaders. We had developers talking with neighborhoods. We had Republicans and Democrats, and we had a citizens committee, which was great. And the first, uh, the first day they sat me down at the citizens committee, I was on the committee. They sat me down next to Steve Christie, uh, who at the time was a Chrysler dealer. And uh, Steve said to me, the first thing he said to me was, I hear we're both engineers. And I didn't know what he was talking about because I'm a public artist, small business owner. And he said, uh, well, I'm an automotive engineer and you're a social engineer. I didn't think it was going to go too well at that point. But uh, we worked that room and, and we came together. And we actually increased transit from an opening bid of $200 million to a final in the plan of $532 million, including the streetcar, which was not included in the first bid. And it was Steve Christie that made the motion to, to increase it that amount because we had a subcommittee on transit that we got everybody looking at the facts. And then it went out, and I worked as hard as I could, sometimes debating three times a day uh, to, to advocate for that campaign. And in May 2006, we won 60-40 for the first time in four years. That's how you overcome the, the, the failures. You, you, get in, you, you get in there, you, you talk to people, you change your, your strategy, and you go out and you win for the community. And that's the kind of experience I want to bring the mayor's office so we win together on everything that we need to accomplish. So we did the Ice House Lofts and uh, finished that in 2005. We went into our next project and we wanted to take what we had learned from the Ice House and do completely sustainable, modern um, homes in the Miramonte neighborhood on the Third Street bike path. It was called Indigo Modern. And um, we had to build 11 at a time. We were going to do 22 and we were in the middle of constructing 11 homes when the whole real estate market collapsed. And now I had done global branding. When I moved here, I had to completely reinvent myself. And uh, so was not deep in real estate experience at the time. We had personal guarantees on everything. So our whole life savings, and we had a young child at the time, was at risk. And, you know, developers were going bankrupt all around us. I could not sleep. Um, but I sought the advice of somebody I really trusted and respected. And he said, imagine the worst case scenario, the real worst case scenario, and then figure out what you would do if you were in that situation. So I imagined it. I realized that I had a supportive family and I was resourceful and I would get through it. And being able to do that, I could then regroup. And our team then innovated on how we were going to sell, complete and sell these 11 homes. We uh, worked with the FHA program, lowered our price and made it right within the price point where um, people could finance it through this very, this one program that was still available when banks weren't lending anymore. And we, sh we shifted to just trying to stay afloat we really innovated and not only were we in, in our marketing as well, um, working double teams uh, to get people into the homes. And not only were we able to sell all of the properties at a loss, but we still stayed afloat. We paid back all of our loans and 11 home project one block North was taken back by the bank. So our success um, based on our ability to regroup Seek advice, regroup, and innovate really made all of the difference. Um, and that's how I would approach uh, when I have challenges when I'm mayor, 
think it's important to seek out the advice of others, regroup, and always innovate. And then regarding successes, um, I've been really lucky. That- Mine count. That way we turned that into into a success. But, um, you know, when I lived in New York, I worked and I worked. That was all I did. When I lived, when I moved here, um, I was able to not just um, create projects, but really show people what's possible. For me, that has been the beauty of um, what I've done here not just with the Ice House and with many of our other projects, which have been published all over the world. With the Museum of Contemporary Art, when I started, we were a small museum with big dreams, and I enabled us to turn into a world-class museum through my leadership, and then with downtown as well. So um, those successes and the ability to show people what's possible if you have vision um, has really been my proudest uh, moments here. Yeah. Um, a big failure that could have changed the trajectory of my life was that, as a lot of people know, I'm the first in my family um, to graduate, to attend a university and graduate from college. Um, and I came to the U of A when I was 17 and um, spent three semesters. I went, I went into the U of A not feeling secure about who I was and my knowledge and questioned my knowledge. Uh, three semesters later, I get kicked out. I get kicked out of the U of A with a 1.3 GPA average. Uh, I felt like an outsider at the U of A and I didn't know as much as my parents told us how important a college education was, they really didn't know how to give me advice. None of my siblings did. And so I felt out of place and I, and I got kicked out of the UVA. But I had made a promise to myself and my parents when I was 15, 16, I turned, that I would go to college, that I would get a bachelor's degree, and there was no way that I was going to fail at that. I went back to Pima College uh, in smaller classes. I learned how to be a college student, uh, had wonderful teachers that taught me the ropes, taught me how to write notes, taught me how to, you know, write papers, uh, college-level papers, and I had straight A's every semester um, at, the, at, at Pima. I worked myself through college and um, was taking two, three classes at a time. Um, finally, I reapplied at the U of A, got reaccepted, and graduated eight years later. But I put a goal. I I uh, went back and I and I accomplished my goal. And that was a very difficult time, but it really changed the way my life is now. Right? Because it gave me, that degree gave me amazing opportunities, both educational and, and economic. A success, I would say, and I, you know, I put that, that failure to work for me to give me a push uh, to be able to succeed in accomplishing that goal. Uh, a success that I will always be very proud of 
was passing the Cesar Chavez holiday in the city of Tucson. And that took a lot of work and dedication and collaboration, not just with the city of Tucson financial departments, our city manager, but also with the labor unions in the city. Um, sitting down and speaking with the labor unions to see what their needs were. Uh, sitting down with stakeholders in our community to, um, to be able to get, I felt like I was an organizer at the time. <laughs> and so um, for the first time, we made history in the city of Tucson when we passed the Cesar Chavez paid holiday for, for, the, for Tucson employees. And it was, it made, it does make a difference because uh, Cesar Chavez was a native Arizonan, a Navy veteran, and uh, did a whole lot of amazing work for working families, for those families that were, you know, uh, the poor of the poorest right. in our communities. And so um, I will always be very grateful for all the work that was put into that and the difference that it has made. Uh, not just for city workers, but for our entire city. Okay. So I think we're at the point for closing statements. Joe, did you have questions? Uh, individual question for each of you. Just um, real quick. Um, from the last uh, mayoral debate, Steve, you said that $500 doesn't matter a lot to you. It doesn't change your vote any. Right. So with Jim Click being such a specter in some circles in democratic places, why didn't you give the money back? Because uh, $500 doesn't buy my vote. I have 1,800 individual donors. And I think this might be an important place to point out, too, that, that in the clean election system in the city, it's no different from when you're running traditionally. You're limited at $500 donations. You can get $500 donations from people, and they're fully reported. Um, ultimately, Jim Click has done some good things for this community. He's supported the disabled community, the disabled programs, University of Arizona. He was one of the founders of Primavera Builders, and he does good things, and I disagree with him about a lot of things. But one of the things I've done in the legislature is I work with people I disagree with. And anyone who wants this to be a great town is somebody I want to work with, no matter what. But the fact is, Jim Click gave me $500. He, he didn't, he didn't, uh, I didn't make him the co-chair of my campaign. So he has no authority over anything that I do. And the, I, I ride the bus every week. I, I talk to different people on the bus. And the people on the bus that I meet every week have equal access to my office that Jim Click does. That's what it comes down to. We need money to run campaigns. I've been spending a lot of time in the legislature fighting against the power of big money. I was uh, interviewed by Bill Moyers in 2012 for his documentary, The United States of Alec, for my efforts to attack the American Legislative Exchange Council and make them report who gives them their money and who they give their money to. And I actually helped to write the Outlaw Dirty Money Initiative that's being passed. It's based on, in part, on a bill that I wrote in 2012. Okay. So I've been fighting the power of money in politics. Uh, and I think it's clear that I've been reelected six times in the legislature. The voters of Tucson understand that they are the ones I report to, no one who contributes to my campaign. You know, I have a similar question for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So you have gone out to push for resolutions at the city council level fighting Donald Trump. So why do you have a co-chair that gave $2,700 to him in July 2016? Uh, similar, you know, I have decided to run as a clean elections candidate because it's not just the individual contributions you receive, but you limit yourself to a certain amount of money that you can spend per voter. 
it depresses the amount of money that um, campaigns have to spend to be able to win. I, I don't think that the person that has the most money should win. And um, Cody Ritchie is a uh, is a, a Republican. We disagree on almost everything, but we, we do agree on is that we both want to see the quality of life in Tucson better uh, for the betterment of our citizens. We both want to see good, a good, clean city, good roads, good parks. And um, uh, Cody Ritchie is nowhere in comparison to the power that Mr. Click and his friends, the car dealers in Tucson, uh, have wanted to have an influence in our political process in the city of Tucson. Uh, Mr. Click has been very open about changing our election system, adding two uh, additional wards in the foothills and changing to a, a, a ward-only election system. That would essentially change the power of every resident in the city of Tucson. He's also contributed to Russell Pierce and Joe Arpaio. And so I, I, I just think that the, the level of influence um, from one from the other has. I, too, believe in that every single stakeholder in the city of Tucson will have a mayor in me. I, I have worked with Republicans uh, and have done good things uh, to pass uh, Prop 101 and spend uh, $250 million in police and fire in our roads. We've worked together to pass the Prop 407 to spend $225 million in our parks. Uh, I will be a mayor that will sit down and collaborate with every stakeholder in our community. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, to be able to have um, the support of a co-chair like Carolyn Campbell, that is a huge environmentalist in our community, the support of someone like Congressman Grijalva, who's a big lefty in our community, and the support of people like Senator Kirsten Sinema, who is a moderate. Uh, which so we're we're coming up on yeah. on the time, and I want to make sure that Randy, that your question. <laughs> you I do have one for you, Randy. Tell you, me. You, you helped me out today. Okay. So you know you've talked about expanding driplets, and you said to our editorial board today that you have a project that won't pencil out unless you get a driplet. Do you want to expand the triplet to that area? Oh, no, it's already in that area. <laughs> we so that. we spent uh, six years working with the mm -hmm. West University neighborhood and the Trinity Church to create a project um, on the Trinity land at Portland University um, because the Trinity Church had really decreased their membership, and they viewed it as a way to create sustainability for themselves. Uh, we worked for six years with the neighborhood. We got a PAD rezoning in 2017. Um, we are already under construction. It's all approved. Um, so Well, that was hard on them, so I have a follow-up. Okay, so you t tell me the follow-up. I'll answer anything. If elected to mayor, will you continue to work on that project? Um, no, so the way that we have our projects um, worked out, I do the upfront business side, the rezoning, and uh, my husband is an architect. He does the construction side. So the rezoning is complete. And then on this particular project, we have uh, financial partners 
um, who are also involved uh, more intimately. So um, if we move forward with the residential portion, so the commercial portion is almost complete and okay. Um, okay, we've been constructing it. On the residential portion, if we're able to move forward with it, um, I won't be working on it. I really view uh, being mayor as a full-time position. I don't think you can really do it well otherwise. Um, so my husband will continue to work on some of it, but I will not. And that was, I guess, a quick follow-up was, given that you have, you're in developing and property and all of that, how would you keep that from being a conflict of interest should you become mayor? Sure. I take conflict of interest really seriously. So, for example, I took leave of absence from the Museum of Contemporary Art Board just while I was running. And I also took a leave of absence from being chairwoman of the Downtown Tucson Partnership just while I was running. Not that there would necessarily be one, but even the appearance of one, I wanted to make sure that it was crystal clear. I think that it is really important that our politicians have integrity. And um, so moving forward, if there was even the semblance of conflict of interest, I would recuse myself immediately. I have uh, no interest in creating uncomfortable, uncomfortable or untoward circumstances. I want everything to be really crystal clear and um, I would have no problem doing that. All right. So with that, let's do our Can I ask a quick one. Uh, what parts of town have you all lived? Uh, Tucson and Pima County, and where do you live now? You can go ahead and start. <laughs> <laughs> I've always lived in the Blenheim and Elm neighborhood. I moved, when I moved here in 1995, I lived on Helen Street near Tucson Boulevard. And uh, when it was time to downsize, my girls went to college. I moved to a little 1928 Jostler Adobe about two blocks to the west, still in Blenheim and Elm. Near to some of Speedway. Right. Are you still on the neighborhood association? There? I am, yes. I um, first landed when I was 17 in Tucson on Romero Road. <laughs> <laughs> Romero and Prince. Uh, we lived in an apartment there while we found a, um, a house. Uh, the first house, it was really funny because all my parents left um, Summerton. When I left, since I'm the youngest in my family, and moved to Tucson to follow their kids. And so when I landed in, in, in on Romero and Prince, uh, my parents came six months later, and it was like eight people in an apartment. <laughs> so we looked for a home to rent, and the next place we moved to was Pennsylvania and 12th Avenue. Um, and uh, from there, we moved as a family to Midville Park. And um, as a young college student, I purchased my first home when I was 24 and purchased a home on Valencia and Cardinal area. And then I got married and moved to the west side on uh, Star Pass and uh, Greasewood area. I still live on the, on the west side. I'm on Speedway and Painted Hills Road area. And so I've had a little bit of, of everything in, in this city. So, um, I have always lived downtown. So first we lived in the El Presidio neighborhood right near the Tucson Museum of Art. Our daughter was born there. Um, in the meantime, we built the ice house lofts and moved into the lofts. We thought we might live there for just a couple of years and then move. And we've been there 15 years because it's such a cool and beautiful <laughs> place to live. And we can walk to downtown and... 
bike and um, have everything accessible. So um, from a living standpoint, that's where I've been. Okay. Next this is a lightning round question. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is it why, yes, no, or no? Why, why, are, why are each of you Democrats? I've been a lifelong Democrat because I believe in the value of all humans. And I believe that people deserve um, help. They deserve help to thrive. Um, I believe in the democratic process. And um, boy, really, I've, since I was a teeny kid, I have been, since I knew what politics was, I have been a Democrat, and it is very much about the democratic values. I have always been a Democrat. I first registered as a Democrat when I turned 18. I was the only one in my family that had the privilege to vote at that time, so my dad always talked to us, uh, me, about registering as a Democrat because uh, he was part of the United Farm Workers, and uh, he said this to me, you're going to register to vote, and you're going to register at the, as a Democrat because Kennedy, Dolores Huerta, Chavez, and Reverend Martin Luther King were Democrats. We believe in the guiding principles of the Democratic Party, and since then I've been a Democrat because I'm a pro-choice, pro-public education, um, uh, pro-union um, uh, woman that believes in uh, the guiding principles of the Democratic Party and equality for all, um, and very proud to you know, to have been a lifelong Democrat. And I've been a Democrat since I uh, originally uh, registered to vote. I sadly I missed the 1980 election by one month, <laughs> um, but uh, ever since then I've been voting in every election, and I believe that uh, the Democratic Party uh, represents equality of opportunity for everyone, and I think that's the most important thing. And uh, as, as subsidiary to that, in the power of supporting great public education for everybody at every level so that everyone has the opportunity to be able to turn that equality into success. Okay. Any other questions? All right. You each get a minute. Um, and I forgot where we are. That's one minute. One minute. One minute. All right. Um, all right. So, Steve, why don't you go first? Well, I, I'm grateful that you brought us here today, and I'm grateful to be able to run for mayor. I think I have the opportunity to take some of my innovative ideas, and I have plenty of ideas. You can go to the website at stevefortucson.com and read lots of them. I'm putting on one every week and put them into action using my proven track record of being able to provide results for Tucsonans. I've been elected six times by the people of Tucson. It's been my honor, my absolute honor, to be able to serve the people of Tucson in what can be a difficult place for Democrats in the legislature. But I've been able to get things done, expanding Medicaid from President Obama's Affordable Care Act to 400,000 people, being able to work with the Red for Ed movement to get $415 million in new funding this year alone, and we've got to work more on that, and uh, being able to get people who used to fight together to get a regional transportation plan throughout the entire region in 2006, long before I even had a title. Um, I think there's a lot we can do in the future with my, my artist brain and the, the work I've done all over this community and murals and honoring our history. This is an incredible town and the ability to be able to work with the passion and the dedication of the people who are Tucsonans, it gets me really excited to get up every day and, and make that next phone call and knock that next door. All right, thank you. All right, Randy. So Tucson is on the cusp of a renaissance. We have all the pieces in place to really become a thriving 21st century city. 
but we need leadership with vision who can do that. Um, we need leadership that has both passion, compassion, as well as the ideas. I think you've all read, I have 13 pages of policy on my website. That was derived from meeting with department heads, city council members, the um, mayor, the county administrator, to create real solutions to the problems that we have. And our problems prevent us from being successful. We need real solutions, not just rhetoric. We've never had a mayor with 30 years of business experience, 20 years of real estate experience, and a track record of making extraordinary things happen. I said my proudest moment was really being able to show people what was possible, and that's what I'm going to do as mayor as well. And Rick, 25 years ago, I decided um, that I wanted to serve my community, and I've been doing so since then. Uh, I'm very proud of the work that I've, that I've uh, dedicated myself to do. I've been a fighter for Tucsonans, uh, for uh, public education funding. I've, I've rallied, I've picketed, I've marched, I've canvassed uh, to bring equality and equity into our community, to create good quality of life and economic opportunities for all. I've been on the Tucson City Council since one of the worst economic recessions from the Great Depression to one of the most prosperous times. I helped lift our community um, out of the recession that we were in. Because of my work on the council, we've seen the, our downtown uh, grow, and I'm ready to continue serving the residents of Tucson as the mayor. I have the experience and qualifications to move our city to the next level of progress and prosperity, and I have the vision to do so. And um, I'm humbly asking for the votes of Tucsonans in this election. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for being part of this, and this will officially conclude our podcast with us and we will see you next time. Thank you so much.